Anderson lives again. You can hit all the referees you want, kid, but he kicked out. What's this? What is this? Jeff Jarrett out with the... What is he doing out here? I just know. He's Scott Steiner's close friend. Oh! I would hate to be in front of him. He got waffled with the acoustic equalizer. Oh, yes, I can't believe it. It was an accident. That's no. It. No way. You check out. Yes. One, yes. two, no. Jarrett. Jarrett saved the life of Scott Steiner. Making up for his early no. hour. One, two, no. Oh. Steiner kicked out! Steiner kicked out! Oh. Steiner kicked out! Oh, Lord, give us breath to stay this with this one. This is incredible. Get shot. He, oh! He was setting him up with a power bomb, and Steiner went south of the border. And he Look did it. it a second time as he digs in. Second referee, Charles Robinson in, and he keeps him. Yeah, yeah, King Suplex. Way to go, Scott! Kenny hooked the recliner. That was always his setup move, the T-bone. He's got Sid Vicious over. He's got Sid Vicious in his grasp. He's got it. The face. The third recliner. The third time he's been in the recliner. Sid, fight up. Get this man. Come on, Sid. Yank him. Break him. He yanked again. Sid. Reaching for the rod. Sid has fought out of this twice in this match. Third time's a charm. Sid reaching for the rod. He's in the middle of the ring. Sid Vicious beating on the fringing of the crowd in Washington. He's fading. What a testament to his courage. He's out. He's out. It's over. Yes. Steiner wins. Yes. Steiner is still the champion. Ladies and gentlemen, Big Papa Pump again has won. Big Papa Pump again is the world champion in one of the most physical, enduring tests of strength and power. One more he. Everybody, welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. My name is Rory McNamara, going back in the time machine for the final time to look at 2000 WCW. Oh, I'm missing it already. Joining me on our final quest, can you believe we're actually there? I mean, Eric Landstrom's here because, of course, he is. I, you know, I've I developed a, a kinship with the macabre to begin this year, and it's resulted in a numbing effect at the end of the year. I mean, this is the ultimate case of rubbernecking right here. Eric, thank you for joining us as always. And we've got Pete Kimber along for the ride. Pete, welcome back. You know how thank to you. pick them. <laughs> thank you very much. The uh, the medications wore off that you gave me about three or four months ago, and I've uh, just come out of uh, hiding. So it's good to come back for Christmas time in WCW. WCW is great. Keep telling yourself that, Peter. WCW <laughs> is great over and over. That's why when I'm you're here. on bike or off bike, whatever it takes. <laughs> Uh, just a bit of housekeeping other shows we've got for you December 2000 the WWF and ECW programming should be with you very shortly and of course we have already issued our 2000 end of year reward show or three hours 39 minutes and 56 seconds of it we've had a lot of great feedback about that one do check it out if you haven't already and you know where to find us if or I should say when you want to debate us about it debate is a word i chose advisedly still one minute 40 seconds is quite enough before going into the time machine so let's get this done for the last time in 2000 nothing official has been announced i feel like i've said that a lot over the last three months but rumours have been swirling that the deal has been reached and it will mean WCW is purchased from Time Warner by Eric Bischoff. 
The ATM is no longer out of order, it seems. We ourselves might well be jumping the gun, as if again we haven't done that enough over the last few months, as any official announcement is unlikely to occur until early January. However, some major credence can be given to this suggestion by the very real opportunity WCWHQ are exploring to move their headquarters, be it to California, Nevada, or of course, Arizona. And yes, that probably means fishing vacations in Wyoming for all staff during the late summer. Further to that, the fun act of debt verification, ooh baby, has been taking place within the Turner organization. We talked about about contracts. (laughs) We're too ahead of the game, whether we like it or not. Despite (laughs) our reporting last month, there you go, indicating that Brad Siegel might have wanted to fight on a loan, he has now all but admitted that due to the huge losses the company are suffering every month, it makes sense to sell up whilst there are still some assets worth cashing in on. Bischoff himself is at least talking a good game. He is relying on the following bullet points in interviews, and I will leave it to the very good sense of our listener base to judge their veracity. WWF ratings have fallen since they went to TNN. The WWF have made a right horlicks of Steve Austin's return. The Rock will be filming another movie soon. Undertaker is broken down and all but finished. Okay, now I'm listening. And Kurt Angle is a flash in the pan. As <laughs> I maintained my veneer of impartiality for about 30 seconds. As for the current WCW roster, remember them, the lower card wrestlers are very concerned at their future, but the big names are rather looking forward to it. And why do I even waste the valuable time my epidermis has on this earth by typing that? Indeed, it is very possible that the booking team will consist of Messrs. Hogan, Nash and Page. Something, something, that doesn't work for me, even with guaranteed money, monkey boy, something, something. At time of recording, it is believed Bischoff is just one investor away from being able to fully seal the deal. However, I do wonder, cynic that I am, just how much heavy lifting that particular just in the previous sentence is doing. Peter, I'm going to come to you first. We've been going back and forth on this ever since the end of September, really. And I do wonder if we have finally reached a denouement to this story. But with said twists and turns still twisting and turning, I wonder how cut and dried it is that Eric Bischoff will be the owner of World Championship Wrestling by the time we come to record next month. But we must go with what we do have on paper in front of us. So... Sum up everything that you haven't had a chance yet to talk about since the end of September and the fact, <laughs> fact he says, that Bischoff <laughs> could well be making a purchase in the next couple of weeks. Well, I think Bischoff's hoping for a, a busy month, isn't he, um, to seal the, seal the deal, um, ho-hum. Um, I, you have to take a lot of it with a pinch of, uh, or whatever you want to take a pinch of, God knows what that would look like. Um, I think it's kind of weirdly maybe a little bit exciting but at the same time terrifying when you listen to the way that he's pitched what's happening in WWF you know with you know the rock and they've mucked up Steve Austin is you know the biggest star there's been in the 90s for any company um, and actually turned the page on WCW and almost well it's cost them basically to lose all the money they have done in the past what 
18 months, two years. Um, the fact that it's Bischoff, it doesn't, obviously, there's no surprise there. Um, the fact that I think he, he still feels he has something to offer, I kind of understand why, but is it a busted flush in terms of what he's done since, what, 1997 when he had Vince, you know, shouting probably in his office and screaming at all the writers and screaming at the TV executives, etc., trying to get ratings back? Then you mentioned the potential uh, writing team, in inverted commas, of, of Hogan, Nash, etc., etc. The boys getting back together. Oh. Um, what did that do last time? I really missed that, yeah. Um, <laughs> it, it doesn't sound like they're going to rip this up and start it again. They're definitely going to rip it up, but <laughs> I, I can't see this being a, you know, WCW back to, you know, Nitro and that creative aspect and having WWF back on the run again and Vince a few sleepless nights. Uh, it, it's the relocation makes sense, I suppose, getting back to where he wants to be or appease the big boys, as they say. And I mean, the, the guaranteed contracts are there. When you're hearing names like Randy Savage, etc., and Hogan, it just, it, it doesn't sound like we're planning for the future. We're just planning for very, very short term. And maybe that is the idea early on to get the big boys back out there again. But, you know, we've, 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 we've been here and we've seen this in the existing WCW, which is why, you know, they're being sold and they're being in, in effect, they, they've taken the hit and they, they've gone. So it's going to be very interesting to see if he can get this over the line. Part of me thinks, you know, Bischoff being Bischoff, I think he wants to compete him and Vince, they're not friends, are they? They're not mates. They're not buddies. They, they want to compete. Another part of me thinks we need the competition. We need that extra company. I know we have ECW, but obviously it's a, a much smaller base to work from than WCW in terms of what they've got and the, and the, the roster. Um, so I just feel like this has to happen for that reason. My only concern is you've got the names of Bischoff, Hogan, you know, Kevin Nash, you know, Savage, you, you're just going back to, you know, mid-90s again when we're getting into 2001 and they need to flip the page and and run with something new. But looking at the roster they've got, I mean, would you be basing it around people like Lance Storm? And we, I, I've mentioned Booker T for probably, what, two or three years now on this on this show about being somebody they can, they can bank on but never really have. I know there's been some injuries around there, but who can they like the, the blue touch on? Cause Goldberg for me, doesn't seem to be the same person that he was probably due to the politics that's been going on around him. So yeah, I think for, for, for wrestling, you know, this probably has to happen. It's just, it sounds a bit weird, but it's a shame that we've got probably Bischoff at the helm. If Bischoff could be a part of it and not, not owning it or being it, I'd be a bit happier, but I guess January, the next month when we, we sit back down again and, and the show comes out and we see what's gone on. will be very interesting to see what's actually been ironed out. Yeah, I'm just reading now through the torches that were released in uh, this month. There's a, a cracking story in here. Again, I doubt how true it is, but I'm going to make reference to it just for nuisance value, if nothing else. That there was a indication, and I'd like to know who actually made this indication, that Vince McMahon had actually found a way to buy 51% of World Championship Wrestling. 
Eric Bischoff <laughs> buying the remaining 49% and running WCW as competition to the Fed. And I quote directly from the torch the following sentence. McMahon's majority ownership stake would be kept secret to add credibility to the eventual interpromotional feuds and pay-per-views down the line. Although two, count them, high-level sources heard the rumours, neither put much stock in it. I'd love to know who released that in the first place. Eric, I feel like we've been talking about this for a lot longer than the three months we have been. Is there light at the end of the tunnel? And as Peter suggested there, is this the light we want to be seeing? No, I have so many, just I'll call them assorted thoughts on this. Um, because you, you would think that, oh, it's just, you know, we're just running this back again and it's going to be the same conversation that we've had. And I don't know. Uh, where do I even start? Okay, first of all, uh, if WCW posts up in Vegas, like you'll have a front row, front row fan right here. That is a very inexpensive and short one-way ticket uh, for me. Um, so that, that is that is a little bit exciting. And that would be fun. That would be a good idea. Um, I think I'll take this big to small in that I, is it even appropriate or even accurate to say that like WCW and whatever incarnation it may take in six months or a year would even be considered competition to the WWF? Now, what I mean by that is they tried and they succeeded for about a year and a half, two years in being true competition and that carried through with the early nitro years and everything too i suppose but i've been banging this drum for a while in that wcw needs to thrive as a smaller alternative to the wwf there was a bit in the torture roaring pete that uh i noted and pointed out how different the wwf is now than it was three or four years ago when those competitive ire you know fire started to you know really uh really flame and here's what was pointed out. Vince McMahon has spent three years fortifying his company in terms of office staff, in terms of funding, in terms of capital, in terms of public perception, in terms of how he negotiates contracts, who he has in charge of overseeing things. He has turned this from in three years from a, you know, a glorified mom and pop organization to uh, you know, a, a, a net, an international stock traded company with huge, with huge office staff, huge creative staff, everything like and WCW has done nothing but lose ground in that same time. They gained it and then they lost it. And now they're back probably to their pre-NWO, hell, even pre-Nitro uh, levels in terms of national appeal, in terms of ratings and numbers and drawing power and all that stuff. So we're not in the same place as we were three years ago where the WWF was vulnerable due to internal and external factors to this insurgence that it kind of fought off. And WCW was in an almost a perfect position in order to, you know, attack the Fed. And, and, and those, those stars just don't align at this point, nor will they for some time, if ever. So I don't think we need to look at WCW as a competitor, somebody who's going to, you know, Bischoff's not going to have another 82-week or 83-week span where he's killing the WWF. I think they just need to reform and kind of find their new identity. And then in three or four or five years, we can talk about a viable competitor, but we should be talking about a viable alternative. Um, the books are out. WCW lost almost $63 million in 2000. We got those right before we went on for recording time. Um, $63 million in one year. Um, there's no way you can recover from that in any short amount of time, whether you're still under the Time Warner umbrella, which seems least likely outcome, whether you're with Bischoff or whether you're with somebody else. There's going to be some restructuring 
and it's going to take time. Um, I think the last thing, Rory, gosh, I hate talking about this guy, but you get to the, you, you start the month uh, with reporting, oh, Bischoff's got TriStar, and he's got maybe George Steinbrenner, and he's just, you know, an inch, inch and a half away from having everything he needs. And then you get to the end of the month, and you read through some of the dirt sheets, the torch, and yes, even the observer, and it seems like the money just maybe isn't there. And it seems like Turner, it, Turner Time Warner, AOL Time Warner, whatever the hell, like, it seems like they're going to stall in order to incentivize anybody but Bischoff in his rinky-dink underfunded group from buying this company. So I hate to say this, Rory, I don't think we're anywhere near the end uh, of this discussion. Well, do you think then that somebody, probably Bischoff himself, knowing him as well as we do, might well be bluffing here when he says, or the news is out, that he's only one investor away? I told you that Just was doing heavy lifting, didn't I? Right. right. Just one just one investor. But is that investor, you know, some crowdfunded thing where he just needs to, you know, pass the coffers around and get that extra couple couple bucks? Or is he one investor away and that investor is a primary investor? Right? <laughs> the, so, the investor who actually has the money to invest. Yeah. <laughs> so so I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm so snake bit by this whole thing now because three months ago, it seemed like this is a done deal. Mm-hmm. And it just it's still we, We've been circling the drain, circling the drain, circling the drain. Um, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not going to commit to anything. But I know the WCW is, <laughs> you know, it's it's expensive and it's a money loser and it has a perception uh, that some buyers may be it, it may be overperceived by some buyers in terms of its value and in terms of what it can effectuate in the next three or four years. My hope is that it can rebuild and that some buyer, some group, can be patient with it and allow it to rebuild instead of just trying to hot shot with all these guys that we talked about and Pete so eloquently pointed out, it's just not the answer. It's just not the answer. Eric, again, how much did you say they've lost this year based on your numbers? So looking at some of the early, you know, you talk about WCW and talk about their business long enough, you start to understand where to find some of these trade sheets and industry reportings and things. That's never a world I thought I would be in, but looking here at the end of their numbers, (laughs) Uh, 60 uh, just a share just a shade under 63 million for one year biggest loss before uh 1998 i think was six million so the last two years they've lost this year this year they lost 10 times as much as their previous worst year except for last year that makes this is wow this is just asset stripping stuff i mean somebody's going to be able to march in and pick them up for buttons if they're not careful i was just going to say how much is actually going to cost this this investor they got like you know a few shilling and a bag of gold coins at the end of the rainbow just to, just to chuck in and it becomes theirs. But then they're, they're saddled with, I guess, the existing uh, contracts and or anything else that's going on. But it's not going to be worth a hell of a lot, surely, with, with a big loss like that, you'd think. This is it, isn't it? Uh, I don't know how to use that word again, viable they really are at this point. It's, I suppose they, and by they I kind, I'm talking about Brad Siegel, I was going to say he's lucky, but then if he really wants to sell up now, he probably isn't. But my point is that any business person could feel that they could make a killing, pick up WCW for the low, the low eight figures almost now. We're talking, I don't know, 11, 12 million. I mean, when you see some of the numbers that were being bandied about to buy the company even two months ago. And now, you know that the Wall Street Journal ain't going to lie, and they're losing mid-eight-figure sums in just one year. 
than any prospective buyers now if they don't strike at this very instant. Now, they're not even going to come close to getting a return on it. Surely not. And we're speculating a bit here at the moment. Bishop himself is the only name in the frame. I do think he might be bluffing a bit and his obvious previous ties to the company. I'm of the opinion that he thinks, because he's carried by hubris a lot, he'd never admit it, especially compared to his former competitor, but he is. And I reckon deep down, or maybe not so deep down, he thinks that he could just march in and pick up the company very, very easily because it's because of him that WCW are a name. There's a sliver of truth in that, probably not as much as he would ever outright say, but he's played his part. I don't think in the cruel world of business transactions, however, that's going to cut much in the way of ice. I just want to bring something else up that you made reference to there, Peter, just on the creative side of things. And if Bischoff does end up owning the company by this time next month, I'm more dubious now than I even was 20 minutes ago. And that's (laughs) saying something. Uh, You suggested there that he's a busted flush. And I just want to come back on that while we can. There are critics out there in the, I'll call it the the world of the dirt sheets that I suppose, like it or not, this podcast ends up inhabiting, that Bischoff himself only ever really had one idea, and we all know what that was. And when you see the names being thrown around here, I'm not going to give them the courtesy of even repeating them. It does give me the chills that he's going to try to do that again, again, again. So, Pete, just to wrap up on this, If Bischoff does end up taking effective creative control, or worse, handing it over to those three, then he might as well not even bother. Another quick point before we just mention that, Roy, as well, is the the Ted Turner uh, impact as well. Yes. um, The Time Warner situation that obviously it was a a bit of a a foundation program, wasn't it? Obviously Nitro was a real real hit and it, it enticed people into the channel didn't let the turn the network as it were and um now that he's slipped away isn't he and he's now in the background he's not got any or hasn't got as much influence that must be a bit of a worry that you know is there going to be a base for wcw to actually be on television or have a prominent slot or you know be taken seriously just a little bit of a decide i noticed that in the in the notes this week in the in the torch as well but yeah i think just it, it's i mean if you go back to when Bischoff came or came back or um, him and Vince Russo, you know, reset the deck, didn't they? Wiped the slate clean, declared everything vacant and off they went again. We know how that went. And, you know, that's where we kind of we are now. I just can't see how he can how he can recreate the magic with the same with the same skill set, the same pieces in front of him. There's, there's not a great deal that's new. And trouble is, those guys have so much power. They have so much, you know, creative control, don't they? I mean, Hogan's not going to lay down for anybody he doesn't want to lay down for. Nash may work a few dates if you ask him nicely, you know. <laughs> Very nice. They're, they're, they're not going to not be workhorses. They're not going to, you know, let's do it for the better of WCW. They're, they're all in it for themselves. And you kind of get that. They're on big money and, and they're earning it. But that's not going to help this at all going forward. Um, and that's that's for me is one of the biggest the biggest issues I think that it's just the same guys in charge of the of the crazy house isn't it I suppose that's been WCW for what the last well, at least twelve months probably oh, even longer yes. if you go go back further than that probably but it really has 
you know, been a this year has been a a real <laughs> interesting time to be people like that. <laughs> yes. That's being polite. I do try. <laughs> That's why we have you on for those measured viewpoints. Just to wrap up as well on this, but from a creative standpoint, that nobody's gonna be jumping ship. Okay. Even if Bischoff wanted to tempt any anybody of any clout or not down south, they're all tied up, almost literally. <laughs> I shouldn't doubt too much. Now, the way that Vince McMahon now has Jim Ross orchestrating and laying out contracts, it's watertight, that stuff. Nobody's going to be making the move. You are not going to be having a Lex Luger in front of the great train store moment anytime soon. So Bischoff is stuck with what he's got. And as we've already mentioned enough times in the last 20, 25 minutes, we all know what he's got. The problem is, I think he's rather happy with that. You would think the last two years would be pretty large scale indication that he shouldn't be. But he's very loyal to these people, loyal to a fault. And fault should be taken in bold, italic and underlined. To close out this section with a reference from the torch, as mentioned there by Peter, and I quote verbatim. Word around the WCW offices was that Ted Turner was complaining about how his wrestling company was sold for pennies. Turner has lost much of the power he once had within the Time Warner structure and couldn't have stopped the sale of WCW if he wanted to. For the fourth time, everybody, I'm going to say it. You're probably sick of me saying it. I'm sick of saying it, to be honest, but maybe... Just maybe this will be the final time where I say this story is going to run and run and run. But please don't quote me on that. You know, Ric Flair, you're taking your job as CEO way too personal. And I know the reason why. See, when you were a champion, they said you were just average. See... When I'm the champion now, they say I'm the genetic freak. I'm the man with the largest arms in the world. You, you were just average. See, when you were champion, you squeaked by victories. Me, I dominate, I destroy because I'm the real deal. And now, you find out as being CEO is a lot more difficult than you thought. See, you can't find enough wrestlers back there brave enough to face me. Well, I got an idea for you. Why don't you try to convince Diamond Dallas Page to get a sex change so he has enough balls to come out here and face me? Wow. I know a good surgeon. Now, Ric Flair, you've been in this business a long time, and you've seen a lot of white trash and a lot of jabronis. So when Diamond Dallas Page comes out here and says, South 5-5, do your job. Send him back down to the Bush Leagues where he belongs. He's out of line here. When he comes out here and says, bada boom, bada bing, bada bang, I don't even know what the hell that means. Send him back down to the Bush Leagues because he...
is proof. He can take somebody out of the trailer park, but he'll always be white trash. Jumping ahead to the final Nitro of the year, and yes, we will look at the Starcade that preceded it later in our show, came the not entirely shocking news, I've written here again diplomatically, that a very real backstage fight broke out between Scott Steiner, <laughs> I know, right, and Diamond Dallas Page. <gasps> Heaven forfend, Scott Steiner? We, we, we say real fight. And we don't even mean like a fight. These two guys, are you, are you kidding me? This probably looked like a hair, this look probably looked like the hair pulling. And we saw that Stacey. <laughs> There's Keaton an expression. <laughs> There's an expression this side of the pond, handbags at dawn, that might well sum it up. But nevertheless, let's go with the reports. In the recent past, Steiner has made some very questionable comments about Paige's wife, Kimberly, both in private and in public. So the resentment between them has been simmering for some time. And this was not helped by the promo you have just heard, in which Steiner made completely unscripted comments about Paige, who had nothing to even do with the planned storyline at the time. When Steiner got to the back, Paige accosted him with a shove into a nearby wall. Scott retaliated instantly, I know, right, and punched Paige over and over until the locker room bravely, foolishly, there's a fine line between the two, intervened. Scott purportedly had the better of the fight, despite, or maybe because, his main goal being to gouge out one of his co-workers' eyes. Page has never been flavour of the month backstage, and given our first news story, his close relationship with Uncle Eric is once again being brought to the fore. At the December 22nd Thunder tapings, an uneasy truce was agreed between Steiner and Page, apparently due to pressure, you have to laugh, due to pressure put by Kevin Nash, onto the latter to not file a criminal complaint against the former. Oh, what is happening here? Eric, this really has been coming for many a month. For all we know, this might not even be the first example of it. But there are two things that really have affected me <laughs> in every sense of the phrase here. <laughs> Number one, that the natives are very, very restless. And two, one of them is even more restless than the rest. You know what's crazy is that the people that uh, apparently it's DDP that people don't like backstage and people yes. are generally pretty chill, pretty chill with Steiner. Like they understand. <laughs> they probably have to be, but yes, indeed. Shit's good. Well, it's more. It, well, it's <laughs> yeah. a little more. It's yes, I'm sure that's true. I, but the way that the sheets put it, it, it's a little more nuanced in that that they think that at least Steiner is motivated to like get out there and work and carry the belt. And apparently his back is so bad he has this like. It sounds like this Rob Van Dam level of stretching routine that he goes through just to go out there and have a 10-minute plodding, kicky-punchy, sign-a-recliner match, right? And so, whereas DDP just seems like he just rubs everybody the wrong way, including his own tag team partner, Kevin Nash, <laughs> who apparently can't stand the guy. Like, we're at levels of politics where Nash apparently is hanging out with DDP in order to maintain political ties to Bischoff, but DDP is saying he doesn't talk to Bischoff. And then, oh my gosh. It's just insane. So anyway, the point is, like, this ties into conversation number one that we had earlier, which is that these are the guys that Bischoff wants to hitch his wagons to, right? And uh, obviously, uh, uh, we've talked a lot about an upper card of a Scott Steiner, of a Booker T, of a, Gold, of a Goldberg, maybe, um, and then maybe peppering it with some younger guys or kind of separating the wheat from the chafe and allowing Hogan and some of those other guys, once their contracts are up to matriculate north, because it's really not going to matter in terms of ratings, because the ratings is, are irrelevant at this point. 
So, yeah, I just think it's a it's a nightmare. And if if, if you read it, DDP just sounds like an absolute, as you guys would say, bellend. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> yes, we've got him at last. Well, Four so, years so, well, and, there we go. <laughs> and, and, and so it just sounds, I don't know. I, I don't even know what to, what to take from this. And then, you know, of course, Buff Bagwell's involved somehow. And this, this may or may not have precipitated Mark Madden's departure in some way that DDP was also involved with. Like, it's just a nightmare. Inmates running the asylum just in time for the guy who allowed this mentality to fester is right back uh, is on the precipice of getting right back in charge. So I, I don't think that this this is another example of why the Bischoff thing is maybe a little bit spurious because is this the atmosphere that he wants to foster? I don't know, but it's the only atmosphere that he knows how to foster because it's not like wrestling locker rooms have always been you know peace, love, joy, harmony. Uh, but this just seems like an extension of where WCW has been, or this toxic extension of the inmates running the asylum. And ironically, the only time that it ever seemed like there was any sort of harmony backstage was when the product on screen was the worst ever because the guys respected Russo and, and they sent a lot of those guys home and Luger wasn't around and Bagwell wasn't around and DDP wasn't around and Nash was just kind of here. And, you know, it, it's almost paradoxical, you know, the better backstage uh, uh, harmony they had, the, the on screen product has never been worse. And now WCW is very, very, you know, iceberg you know iceberg speed turning things around on screen um and yet here we are back to the same old bullshit backstage absolutely pete there is a character on wcw versus nwl world tour called powder keg one of my favorites actually some say based on terry gordy i'm not sure that's true but never mind but the atmosphere his name suggests indicates to me that people have been playing a lot of that game over the last two years rather than revenge which is a better one but never mind <laughs> powder cake atmosphere long way of saying that i just have to mention world tour on every show you see oh yeah why not why not absolutely um, i was thinking that it must be great to be like hr in wcw you know, to have that, <laughs> that 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 lofty position of trying to mediate between scott steiner and anybody must be hilariously a, a fun time um for me, it's quite, I mean, Eric's comments there that actually Scott Stein is probably quite well liked. I think there is a little bit of intimidation around, you know, just be nice to me. I'm going to put it in the beat you up or, you know, in the ring, I'll, I'll make sure you're aware how I feel about you. Um, and Paige, maybe if he showed as much fire and enthusiasm in the ring and around what he's doing as he does probably backstage, perhaps he might get a bit more respect and perhaps he might be not well more well liked but i think the the bischoff tag with page is going to stick with him forever now and that's always going to be a hindrance to what was once a a promising guy he's one of those guys who was coming through wasn't he from you know all those years ago just being that manager i think he drove the the limousine at a wrestlemania i seem to recall WrestleMania rhythm and blues yeah uh-huh. the, the 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 what car was that wasn't limousine was it? it was another car but anyway to, f- to go from there to... <laughs> oh, thank you sorry about that um, <laughs> well, i mentioned the bushwhackers either thank um, the heart thank the heart foundation yes. true very true yeah so <laughs> and i think it's just as you say that the the asylum backstage just must be um and to call this truce i mean that must be hilarious i mean how, how did they sit down these two you know, sorry I tried to take your eye out. Apologies. You know, should we get on this week or what? I mean, how does that? Yeah, you know, Scott Steiner, who's, you know, he's probably what 
a few seconds away from lamping a fan in the audience every week, literally, or being dragged away by anybody. Um, and yet in the ring appears to be quite, sort of a fairly, I would say, safe kind of worker. He doesn't seem like he takes many risks. But um, in terms of like a company head, I think he's so delicate, as Eric mentioned. I mean, the, 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 the back issues that he has, probably because he's, you know, that big now. And, you know, you compare... Scott Steiner, you know, the Frankensteiner, Scott Steiner, there I say, to where we are now. But actually, I, I really like him. I think he's, he is someone you could probably base something around. But wow, talk about an unhinged guy. And fair play to Paige for, for going up to him and trying his luck. I mean, you know, bless him. But it was only going to win one way. And I think it will carry on. And I think Paige is, 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 is stuck now in that position. Uh, I can't see him making any massive inroads um and scott steiner's probably got a bit of power because he's got the belt around his neck and i think people don't want to go and you know be too unkind to the guy because i think he would literally rip your head off at any moment you know and i think he's quite safe i mean he's managed to keep himself in that position i think he respects the fact that he's the world champion as well i think he quite likes being world champion i mean who wouldn't i suppose but i think he's trying to carry that main event scene i mean we're going to talk about the star cave main event later you know, he does a pretty decent job. He's actually doing okay in that role. You know, far better than Kevin Nash or probably Hogan, etc., have been doing. So, yeah, I think I think the HR department need to be on those that guaranteed money because they're definitely going to earn it at some point. Uh, just about. I, I, can you imagine these two being put on a office behavioural course or something like that, having to clock in there every <laughs> every Tuesday morning at nine team, and the team sitting around there weekend in <laughs> just sitting the there in the refectory, you know, running their fingers along the coffee cup. <laughs> no, the twelve points and all that. I just can't imagine I can't even imagine one of these two even picking up a pen to be perfectly honest with you. So I admit that one is rather fanciful, but I do pity the poor person. Unless it was Kevin Nash, then my pity is very much limited. Who had to actually come between these two and tell them, so, you know, he's not worth it, mate. Just shake his hand and move on. <laughs> I was going to say we've all had a drink, mate. I don't know how true enough that is. Probably is, given it was at Nitro. So <laughs> if you hadn't been turned to drink by then, then it's never going to do it. But uh, Steiner is a liability. There's no question about that. It's this thing with Steiner on screen isn't an act. He doesn't have the chops to make it an act. When he is offering out a fan during a match, he's fucking doing it, I tell you. And there's no other option but to take cover. And unless you're very foolish enough to try to take him on, then an eye being gouged out is probably the best you can hope for. But I do agree with you, Repage. Fired up by the very real possibility that his, sorry, we shouldn't call him his neighbour. Bischoff leaves two doors down from him that makes all the difference. Possibly coming back into the fold very quickly. If that hadn't happened, I do wonder how keen he would have been to try his luck. Here, he's mollified the situation a little bit. And I think he knows that although everybody backstage will blame him for trying to make something of Steiner... He knows that in a couple of weeks' time, or at least he hopes he knows in a couple of weeks' time, if the story is still lurking around, that in exchange for the lawnmower that was borrowed two years ago, I'm sure Uncle Eric will sort it all out without too much difficulty. 
even among neighbours, there, there are credits and debits to sort out here, you know. Uh, and the leaf blower as well. Don't, don't forget the leaf blower. <laughs> I've always wanted a leaf blower. There's a guy, if I, if I open my curtain right now, the guy who op- lives opposite me right there has a leaf blower. He's a lucky fucking bastard, I tell you. Anyway, <laughs> I, I, I was sweeping them off my bloody, bloody yard today. Uh, some guys have all their life. But Paige's unpopularity is a fascinating one to me. That when he was rightly nominated for MVP on this very show in 1997, that and he was highly one of the main got main people who helped WCW hit the heights they did in that year. And yet it just was not reciprocated backstage at all. He was seen as a joke at best and a threat at worst. And that's extraordinary to me. He strikes me as the sort of person you'd want to have a pint with. But is it an act? Is it because I don't get have to deal with him on a daily basis? I don't, it can't just be that he is near neighbours with Eric Bischoff. There's got to be more to it than that. It might well be long beyond the reach of this podcast that we ever find out what that actually is. But it is a source of great interest to me. Looking at DDP, listening to DDP. Yes, he's a bit of a cheese ball, natural born monkeys and all of that. Not exactly the first and last word in wit, but he seems all right. He's not going to rob you or anything. He'd return that lawnmower. But maybe one day we will find out what it is. And perhaps if the big fella does take take control, we'll be able to work out what it is. But Scott Steiner is indeed Scott Steiner. Never, never lets it be said that you do not know that. OK, the veneer of impartiality is not going back up just yet because at the very end of this month, <laughs> Mark Madden's contract was terminated. Hear ye. Ah, there we go. I think I know where this one's going for the next 10 minutes. Eric, <laughs> sit down, sit down. <laughs> the official reasons given were his unauthorised on-air comments, such as calling DDP Leatherface. He has some supporters then. And given an equally unauthorised interview to a radio station. So that is at least one six-figure salary safely off the balance sheet. Madden gave an interview to The Torch about his sacking. To truly do this justice, I should shout the whole thing at the top of my lungs without any change in cadence, cadence, cadence. But for the sake of your auditory senses, I shall just quote his words. Well, normally. When I was told to stop talking about the sale of WCW, I did stop talking about the sale. When I was told to stop talking about Scott Hall, I did stop talking about Scott Hall a month before anybody else did. If those are the reasons I was let go, frankly, they don't hold water. I was told that I did an interview without company permission where I ripped the company. I defy anyone to produce that interview because it doesn't exist. I recently did an interview with the Chicago radio station in which I put over the company constantly. That interview was done with company permission. That's the extent of the interviews I've done for the past several months. I was hired in 1994 by Eric Bischoff at Slamboree to do one report a week on the hotline. I told Bruce Mitchell then that I didn't consider myself a career wrestling guy and that every day I spent and every dollar I made in wrestling would be a bonus. (laughs) Ain't that the truth? I'd love to work in wrestling again. If I don't, my statement considered, I think I did very well for myself. Peter, he says he did very well for himself. I don't agree with him. Money aside. 1994. Yeah. 
Oh, he's I been mean, on the hotline for donkeys, yeah. Well, but six years he's carved. I don't think he was on six figures probably when he was on the hotline, but I he, hope he's. Not. I would be entirely imagine, surprised, but hopefully. Well, not. to be fair, he probably got, he probably earned more then. I'd imagine going to WCW, <laughs> but it's, it's stunning to think that he's managed to keep a job or a a whatever with a wrestling company with the output, and, and I, I can imagine we're talking about how unpopular Page is. I'm not sure how popular. Mr. Madden is backstage um, and with probably his peers alongside him, like, you know, Mr. Shivoni and uh, Mr. Hudson sat there probably week after week listening to him shout and rave on. And I don't know, part of me thinks there's a slight touch that in a weird kind of way, you're going to miss that crazy bloody idiot, probably that just, I don't know, but He's no big loss, is he? And I think whatever's happened here, they've obviously found a route to get rid of the guy when they could, as you say, take that, take that, that, that money off the table, and get rid. What that means going forward for the uh, the commentary box, I don't know. Um, that'd be interesting to look at what changes they might make, or is it going to be a two man a two man booth going forward? But um, yeah, I think we should also. Yeah, I like the candle when they, uh, the shows are finished for, for Madden, you know, and pay my respects to his career. <laughs> pay your respects, nicely chosen. One word, very simple. Eric. That is the word. On you, on you go. There's no other intro required here, is there? It's <laughs> just, just building yourself up. He's building himself up. Well, this happens every time I go for the dramatic pause, and then it just it just falls flat, you know. Anyway, uh, Madden, yes. It would be like him to wait until the very end for him to become somewhat likable. Um, and what I mean by that is his parting shot in his interview where he goes, I'm not going to be taking any independent bookings. And to me, like, there, there's a world there where Madden is witty and kind of like a Jerry Lawler mid-90s type character, but he just perpetually and almost uh i don't know he, he just refused to be anything but a buffoon and he was a russo guy and russo loved him and he'd been with the company forever as peter pointed out and he just was never a great fit in my opinion and then when russo tried to make it meta he had madden to kind of tell that story and and hudson to a lesser degree let's be you know let's not put all the blame in madden's camp but the guy is just like you say he yells his tone his tenor is wrong he doesn't protect i mean god to the extent that it even exists he doesn't even try to attempt to protect kayfabe it's just you know he's truly like a modern in the no wrestling fan given the keys to do whatever he wanted and instead of trying to get the product over he tried to get himself over and to some limited corner of the fan base he did now the way he got fired is suspicious and it seems like this is more of a cumulative thing or a regime change than anything you know acute that he did but yeah i just think the guy was a bad commentator who was bad for the product and he was misplaced in his role if he wants to be on the radio if he wants to be on the hotline if he wants to be some sort of alternative voice for the diehardest, for the diehardest of the diehards, like fine. But I don't want this guy being the voice of my program because then it, it just doesn't, it doesn't tell a picture, it doesn't paint a picture in the way that you need it to, 
to support a national wrestling product. He's just bad at it. And that's not his fault. That's not our fault. It's just a fact. And he was miscast and now he's gone. And I think WCW should improve on commentary with this. Although you can't say anything, but the guy probably got a little bit jobbed out here at the end, as much as we're all glad at the outcome, we have to kind of feel bad for him, which I never thought I would say. Oh, this company never, it's always just when you think you've got a handle on it, you've got Eric feeling a modicum of sympathy for Mark Madden. <laughs> what a wicked web we weave. You are right, though. They were looking for an excuse to push him out. And rather than having the cojones to just do it, they needed some form of actual reasoning and an interview he may or may not have given off the record to a radio station that'll do as far as they're concerned and yeah that's that's a bit off i'd go that far but the outcome i think is best for all concerned mark madden is a hotline guy where he doesn't have to refer to kayfabe he can list all the scuttlebutt he wants to without too much fear or favor he did come a cropper once or twice in the mid 90s but for the most part he was able to get away with whatever he wanted and that's who he is he's internet wrestling fan made very flesh on the other end of your telephone line for 149 a minute or whatever it is it's probably a lot more than that and in that respect he was fine i know that the wcw hotline in the mid 90s if certainly before the internet started becoming the thing it is now at the end of the year 2000 there weren't any real other places to get your news taken in quote marks and madden is with his excitable style let's call it that to be charitable probably the person you want to have delivering it to you but that does not transfer to the commentary booth he never made an attempt to try to adapt himself for it. Everybody who has made that move has done so. Even dear old Stevie Ray, bless him, he tried to be a co-commentator. Again, our listeners will make their own minds up as to how successful or not he was or wasn't. <laughs> not trying to lead you in any way. But he at least had a go. Mark Madden on commentary in 2000 was Mark Madden on the hotline in 1996 and it did not work constant attempts to get himself over as the voice of reason breaking kayfabe left right and center no idea of how to actually call and or sell a match repeating words three times over is not how you do it making lewd comments that were clearly just an attempt to ride on jerry lawler's coattails note there's a reason only jerry lawler does that it's not something you want to copy I still to this day quite like Lawler as a co-commentator. Puppies, 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 puppies. Definitely not one of the reasons I do. So we did not need an ersatz version of that on World Championship Wrestling. And just unfunny as well. I don't care how many times he quotes from Big Bottom by Spinal Tap. A rich source of comedy that very well may be. (laughs) But... In fact, he's having to keep resorting to that to tell you all about his own pool, as shallow as it is. Yes, I'm not sorry to see him go. Well, it must be said just to finish up on this. If, once again, the news we talked about 50 minutes ago does come true, a lot of scuttlebutt, Madden himself would be quite proud of this one, that Tony Schiavone could be being kicked off the commentary booth. I can barely begin to imagine that. Won't talk about that now. If it happens, 
next month it will very much be at the top of our the top of our news discussions but well worth remembering yes mark madden do let the door hit you in the arse on the way out i'm sure that won't be very difficult for you Again, there was a pay-per-view this month and it was Starcade of all things. I know so little fanfare, but the pay-per-views exist or for us to watch and briefly review them these days. But briefly review them, we must and will. So, Mr. Kimber, could you furnish us with the results of this month's Starcade pay-per-view, please? No problem at all. Three counts. So Shane Helms and Shannon Moore defeated the Young Dragons, Kaz Hayashi and Yun Yang and Evan Courageous and Jamie Noble in a ladder match to determine the number one contender for the WCW Cruiserweight Championship. Make of that what you will. Uh, Lance Storm defeated Ernest Miller. Terry Funk defeated Crowbar to win the WCW Hardcore Championship. Big Vito and Reno. Um, it was a no contest against uh, Chronic. Uh, Mike Awesome defeated Bam Bam Bigelow in an ambulance match. General Rection defeated Shane Douglas by disqualification to uh, retain the United States Heavyweight Championship. Uh, the Harris Brothers and Jeff Jarrett defeated the Filthy Animals, which was Billy Kidman, Conan and Rey Mysterio Jr. in a bunkhouse brawl. Uh, the Insiders, our old mate Mr. Page and obviously Mr. Nash, defeated the Perfect Event, which is Chuck Palumbo and Sean Stasiak, um, to win the WCW World Tag Team Championship. Yay! Uh, Goldberg defeated Lex Luger in a no-holds-barred match. Uh, Scott Steiner retained the WCW World Heavyweight title by defeating Sid Vicious by submission. And we will talk about those final two matches in detail a little later. But for now, Eric, take any of the previous contests and discuss with us anything you like about them, your thoughts on the overall show. As I say so often, the floor is yours, sir. Sure, I'll take a few minutes here. Um, as we become accustomed, as we become accustomed to on this show, just some numbers for everybody, and some contextual numbers too, because you know WCW has been running the MCI Center in Washington D.C. for Starcade for the past four years now. Um, capacity of twenty thousand six hundred. I guess that's the basketball capacity, but probably about the same for WCW considering the footprint. Um, this year's attendance announced at six thousand five hundred ninety-six. Nineteen ninety. 1999 attendance 8,882, 1998 attendance 16,066, 1997 attendance 17,500. So that's a 64-ish percent decline in 97 over 2,000 in attendance at the same building for the same company to watch a lot of the same guys. Um, that's concerning. Here's the thing about this show, and I'm going to hearken to our friend Chris Lacey. This show was boring. Um, I, I guess it was fine. It was inoffensive. I guess it was inoffensive more than it was boring. There were some interesting parts. Um, some segment of the wrestling world, not me, will like that opening contest, uh, the, the, the ladder match spot fest. The problem is we've been seeing it with better, higher quality competitors with greater stakes done in front of bigger crowds with better production values in another company very, very recently. So WCW is kind of charting out its equivalent of the Hardys, Dudleys, and Edge and Christian to do these spot fest ladder matches. But we're seeing them too often, and that style of wrestling is not sustainable. It needs to be uh, every once in a while, not every month, week, or, or show. Meltzer gave it four stars, which 
kind of makes me question his taste in wrestling. Um, I don't see the guy who gave Flair Funk five stars giving this four stars, but I guess he did. I guess he liked sloppy, dangerous work with a lot of spot fests for without any psychology. We'll see how that goes. Um, I'm looking through my notes here, and it was just a lot of the same. It was just another episode of Nitro, and Nitro hasn't been bad. But up until the last two matches, and I definitely have some thoughts on the main event. My goodness. I thought the best... I thought the best match of the night was probably the tag title match. Go, you know, come and find me and, and, and debate that. But I think the Insiders versus Stasiak and Palumbo was a pretty good, reasonably booked tag match. Yeah, the old guys went over and we're hoping for younger guys to take the reins. But does anybody really believe that that's going to be Stasiak and Palumbo? I think if you're WC, I think if you're WCW in the short term and you're trying to kind of increase the national, you know, the eyes that you have on this product, I think putting some gold on Nash and DDP, the guys that people recognize and can know aren't necessarily, isn't necessarily the worst thing. Um, I just don't know that we've reviewed, we haven't reviewed a show that was this mundane in WCW for quite some time. Certainly not this year. Um, we've been wanting them to kind of, get all the shit out and they did. And then it was kind of left with a show that just, I don't think it had much, you know, there was not much meat on this bone here. So nothing objectionable, but in, in the wise words of Chris Lacey, almost too boring for its own good. Pete, pick into any of that and any of the matches barring the final two. Yeah, I think I, I agree with Eric. I mean, it was, it was okay, but that's, I guess that's probably not actually a bad standard to probably accept for a, a WCW pay-per-view because I was clearly saying a hell of a lot worse than this. But it was, I've said this so many times, I've reviewed pay-per-views. It's just another episode of Nitro, isn't it? But on a Sunday night, you know, that's that's kind of where they, they've been and where they are. Admittedly, the last two, we're going to go into the sort of the main events. There's some good talking points in there. Um, the bunkhouse brawl, I just felt that was just a waste of, of everybody there not a waste of the Harris brothers they probably did belong in that scenario probably but and Rey Mysterio took some, some horrendous bumps and uh, I just I, it was just a mess absolute mess that match but I guess that's what it was supposed to be Bam Bam Bigelow clearly falling through the fake roof of an ambulance you know <laughs> no one saw through that did they clearly not I think Terry Funk was quite spirited I think him yeah. and Crowbar had, had some had some good spots and, and they gave it they gave it their all in that very limited sort of hardcore WCW way. Um, and the first match, I think, as again, you have a, a ladder match involving tag teams for a WCW Cruiserweight Championship match. So, you know, what was ever going to be the outcome? You know, when were they going to split up a tag team to, to do it? Or as it obviously turned out, three count of obviously what won the opportunity to, to take on the, uh, Chavo Guerrero or so we thought that that obviously does change but um, I think no one cared that Reno did what he did you know so what basically wasn't really you know didn't go oh my god you know pause the pause the show and I think Eric's probably right about the tag team titles that it's good to have some name value attached to them but it is a bit of a shame that if we're talking about this this future you know and the beyond you know, the perfect event and the natural born thrillers you would think are something that they could try and build on. But I think as it's been said so many times, the guys just look good, don't they? They've just got that look. 
doesn't necessarily mean they're very good at what they do. Um, they're quite quite early in their careers, quite green. But given a chance, could they do something? But I guess for the time being, no. But I think I've said a hell of a lot worse. I think I watched it pretty much in in, in a sitting. You know, I sat there, didn't pause it too many times, didn't walk out of the room and go, Jesus Christ, and what the fuck am I watching? <laughs> <Stop>. <laughs> Sometimes you do, don't you? And you go, oh, no. And I have to mention one thing, as is my as is my gimmick, apparently, according to my good friend Billy Johnson, the return of Glacier, obviously, oh, yeah. was, highlight- was highlighted, oh, yeah. which also could potentially mean the return of Jerry Flynn. <laughs> it has to be that re- there has to be a return for Jerry Flynn to be Glacier's first opponent. But I am I am championing uh. that. Of for the new W, so I'm going to try and get hold of Bischoff's <laughs> phone number and see if that can be how we we start this thing. And I there think we go. Glacier will definitely Glacier will definitely be factored into Bischoff's WCW. Absolutely, That's, has to be. I think I'll leave that there. <laughs> oh, Pete, what have you done? <laughs> Reverting to type, I like it. <laughs> I actually even had a Jerry Flynn reference written out later, but I'm going to excise that from the record now. You beat me to it. Obviously, oh, you did. You can still do it, please. please. <laughs> Jerry Flynn is not very good. There we go. Sorry. <laughs> oh. You didn't hear that because you're, you're, on, you're on the phone to Bishop at the time, so yeah. you didn't hear that. Okay. I'm anyway. hold at the moment, so you can. <laughs> <laughs> probably not for long, I reckon. He'd probably yeah. let you know he is. Let's get to the big two matches, or the final two matches at least, and I will give my thoughts on the full show when we do our score rating out of 10. But for the second month in a row, it's Goldberg versus Lex Luger on pay-per-view. They know what they're doing in a no-holds-barred match this time. Luger arguably looks worse than he did last month. I would say let that sink in, but I rather suspect he has been doing a lot of that himself anyway. Plus point for Scott Hudson, calling him the picture of narcissism. Much like the main event last month, Buffer keeps on doing his spiel even after Goldberg is made to attack Luger. That $7,000 a show must come with some serious clauses. Straight to the table we go, and now Luger is already crawling around on the floor, into the ring, and a very lazy clothesline by Goldberg. Barely even held his arm out for that one. He does that stare into the camera thing, but his eyes tell the story that he is just not feeling this stuff anymore. Toss suplex sort of thing, and the crowd are also not biting on any of this. Power slam doesn't help matters much. Oh, wait a minute. Are those boos for Goldberg? Uh Light brawling in the aisle, but Lex gets his first offense of the match by sending Bill into the ring post. And then the guardrail. They saw me coming. Lex grabs a chair but misses with the shot as Buff Bagwell comes to the ring with the Sarge Dwayne Bruce, or whatever his name is now. Biggest show of the year, everybody. Shoulder tackle by Goldberg, and now he primes the spear, but Luger hides behind the ref. Buff then drags the ref away, and despite Sarge's attempts at involvement, Lex gets to use the Nux, but only gets a two. No pop on that career-saving kickout, by the way. Buff then climbs the ropes, takes out Goldberg, supposedly by accident, but he gets dumped out of the ring by Lex anyway. Meek Goldberg chant as he gets off a desperation neckbreaker as outside Buff nails the Sarge. We don't care. Spear in the ring, and Washington don't care about that either, which is arguably more of a problem. Jackhammer then keeps the streak going. Okay. Buff then creams him with a chair over and over, and I did not miss that laugh and taunt of his. He and Lex then leave together. Peter. (laughs) 
Is that it? <laughs> that's, 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 that's what you're getting. No, no, no further. More than enough, I think. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, so, as you say, show of the year. You know, this is yeah the, the basis of the company from what 1984 was it when this Star K was eighty four, eighty three, eighty three. Sorry, um, Buddy Lee or the Sarge, whoever he was, came down. But he came down with Buff saying, "I need to help, like Bill." But at the time, Bill was kicking Lex Luger's ass in the ring. Was actually <laughs> in control of the match. He wasn't being beaten down. He wasn't in trouble. Not that he probably ever would be against Luger. So why he suddenly decided to stroll down to the ring at that point just made me think, oh, here we go. This is just ridiculous. Um, then you've got the issue that while he was being beaten up by Bagwell, Goldberg clearly looks over and sees what's happening, doesn't yeah. react, carries on with the match. I think Bill Goldberg has another look outside to see Buff Bagwell just raining punches down on, on the Sarge. And then carries on with the match anyway and beats Luger. So I, I don't know that the Buddy Lee thing, I know it's a reference to you know, the power plant and friendship, but it did take me back, though, that Sarge didn't take a very good beating. The last good one he took was against uh, or from Abdul the Butcher. At Battle Bowl 91. Anyone oh. remembers that one? Deep oh, there's a wow. Yeah, more Remember that one? one. Wow. When he got absolutely annihilated by Abdullah the Butcher. That was a proper beat down in the locker room and outside. Buff Bagwell just kind of tapped him a few times, didn't he? And he, he sold the uh, the brass nut shot on the side. But it just, it just, it just, and you mentioned Goldberg as well. I just think the guy's just out there. It's been a lip service. He had a bit of a cuddle with one of the children he's been um, promoting, I think, outsiders, and he's doing some work with charities. Fair play to him. You know, can't can't go against that. But that seems to be where maybe his not his passion, but where his interests lie. Because in the ring, the crowd don't care. I don't think he really cares. And why would he? He's facing Luger, you know, and Buff Bagwell. I, I can't blame him. But at the same time, this is a guy who, if he was in the right frame of mind, and and politically in the right place, should still be number one in the company. But now he's got to go and win another 170-odd matches just to get a title shot. Good luck with that, Bill. Stupid storyline. Eric, isn't it normally you who just brings up Starcade 91 for no reason? <laughs> <laughs> Although Peter had a water well, really... reason for doing so here. <laughs> I was going to say, is there ever really a reason to bring up Starcade 91? <laughs> um, yeah, it was fucking awful, but it's the first tape I bought from Woolworths. So, you know, oh, that's, wow. why it's in my, oh, okay. that's why it's in, in my memory bank. That's the only reason why. Wait until we do the live watch. <laughs> I, okay. think well, I, know who my guests, I think I know who my guests are going to be. <laughs> um, Eric, yeah, here's thought. the thing. We, these guys had a match last month that wasn't very good and had a very similar, you know, uh, tenor and tone as this one. I was watching this match with somebody who doesn't really watch wrestling. It just happened to be that I was wrapping up my notes and comes in and uh, what's going on here is the question i go watch the start of this match the guy with the blonde hair is going to be sucking wind in two minutes or less and there it was like and then you get to the match results and you realize this match went 12 minutes 12 minutes for luger and goldberg so that means you're going to get one style of match you're going to get a three minute match that is stretched over 12 minutes with a lot of flexing posing interference outside the ring spots etc or you can have a really super competitive, high, you know, hitting, hard hitting four and a half, five minute match. When 
when did main events need to be long? I mean, Mike Tyson was a main eventer and I mean, still kind of is, but you know, his matches against Peter McNeely went like 45 seconds and I'm not advocating for a squash match here in the main event, but like this, does Goldberg really need 12 minutes to beat Luger? And if he does, is he really a main event guy? And does Luger really get anything hanging with Goldberg from, for 12 minutes? Like the psychology here with Goldberg is that he's an unstoppable monster who's unbeatable. And if the guy you want to kind of test that theory with is Lex Luger, then he's not an unstoppable monster. Like that's the point. And then you get to the end of the match and you're pivoting to a Goldberg versus Buff Bagwell program of all things. And like, so Goldberg wins this match against Luger, a former world champion, and then pivots down the card to feud with a guy who's even a lesser foe. It doesn't make any sense. So why is this happening? Part of me kind of thinks, I got to think this one through. Part of me kind of thinks that they're kind of playing hokey pokey with Goldberg because they don't know where the company's going. And it may be a little bit uh, tricky to represent that you'll have this guy around for a new, you know, newly fangled WCW as the top guy that you can can work with. So it may just be a strategic move to kind of keep him around in the conversation, but not really doing anything of of note because you don't know where he's going to be or where his head's going to be in the next three to six months. It could be that this booking is a result of WCW's hesitance to really put all their eggs in the Goldberg basket because they've done that a couple of times now. And every time it just falls apart through Goldberg, through the booking, through a combination. So I think there's an excuse to be made here as to why Goldberg is where he is on the card. But I don't think that. So if you're going to concede that Goldberg is going to be facing Luger or Bagwell, don't make it 12 minutes long. People don't come to watch Goldberg wrestle. They come to watch Goldberg make the entrance with the pyro and snarl and hit the jackhammer and hit the spear and kick kick and beat guys up. That's not what's happening here. And we've seen this pattern repeat itself over and over and over again to the point where Goldberg now is truly devalued. Bischoff wants to talk about how WWF bungled Stone Cold's return, how The Rock's gone, how Undertaker is, you know, rounding the corner to, to home base on his career. That all may be true. But that all of that pales in comparison to how badly WCW has fucked up Goldberg in the last three years, and we can't ignore great that. Point. And, great point. And, and I think, and, and I think what we're looking at here is WCW's own doing, and that they have a guy that they can't commit to because they haven't committed to him yet, and now he's jaded and paranoid, and you know, you know, you got to watch out for yourself, brother, that sort of thing. And and we have a guy that now even the crowd is kind of sick of because a 12-minute Goldberg match helps nobody. This couldn't have been done more incorrectly, is my point. How many more opportunities do they need? Well, we should be long past that now anyway. We've known that nobody wants to see Goldberg wrestle since the Regal match in March 98. And we're still having him have to do it. No wonder he looks so thoroughly pissed off with everything. He knows he can't handle wrestling matches especially not against somebody overweight and out of date, like whatever's left of a lot left in the wrong way of Lex Luger these days. Goldberg is well aware of that. He knows what the fans want to see. And that is part of the reason why the crowd, such that it was at the MCI Center a couple of weeks ago, just were not into this. I mean, Bill Goldberg, for goodness sake, it writes itself. They did not care because they don't want to see this happen. I shouldn't have to write any more than two sentences for a Bill Goldberg match when I'm doing my play-by-play. 
when I looked at it 10 minutes ago and I saw I had whole paragraphs here, I was like, what were we doing? And you're right, Eric, they've completely boned him seven ways from Sunday. I do think that this storyline is just being used as a holding pattern or if somebody else comes along with another creative idea, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, in a few weeks' time, they can then drop this one. I mean, saying he needs to win another 179 matches does give them a little bit of time. It's the only thing this dumb storyline does have going for it, by the way. Uh, we're wheeling out Buddy Lee Parker, whatever we're calling him today. The five years that he spent lurking around the power plant, stroking his cat and nine tails, or worse, that's not a long service medal that requires him being dragged out at Starcade 2000 for any reason. Just pat him on the back and let him go. Buff Bagwell having a position of executive power on screen. Uh, uh, and this is just a complete and total mess. And Goldberg himself is somebody it can be difficult to have sympathy for. We've talked about a lot of stuff he's been involved with backstage over the last 18 months, specifically, where he's probably asked for a little bit too much. His requests are rather out there sometimes but then you can turn around and say well would anybody else be doing things any differently if they'd been ascended to his position so quickly possibly not but i think he could handle himself in a slightly better if not superior way the fact he is superior is probably where some or at superior probably where some of the problems come from but regardless i can see that he ain't feeling this anymore he probably wants a change. He probably does miss Vince Russo to some regard. They get on. They got on fairly well. Notice the drop of the present tense there when I said get. That wasn't intentional, but you might want to hold me to that one in the future. But Goldberg, he's going to keep cashing the checks. They're going to keep paying them. In that respect, he's going to suck it up and get on with it. But he's not happy. And when you haven't got much else left, an unhappy Bill Goldberg might as well be the end of it. Not the end of Starcade, though. We still have a title match main event to discuss where Scott Steiner. Yes, that one versus Sid. Oh, yes, that one. <laughs> Two madmen going after the top prize, says Tony. Sounds good. And then the bell rings. Steiner is out of the blocks sharp ish but sid turns it around early with his usual corn cutting punches and you know what i have missed mentioning those to a degree side slam but it just gets you every time side slam by sid and that is an early two quick breather by scott and there is the taunt and there is the test of strength that's never a good sign and a staple of sid matches there could be a link there steiner wins this one easily managing to overcome sid's displays of power with not much issue until Sid counters with the closest to a Northern Lights suplex he will ever, ever come. <laughs> Leg drop and sloppy cover for a two count. Big boot in a clothesline, and outside we go, and there is Medasia with a lead pipe to the back. Steiner now has a chair after stopping to jaw jack somebody in the crowd, and yes, as we know, he means it. Back in for an elbow and some push-ups. Backbreaker and another taunt, and nobody in the crowd is having this one either. Kicks to the head, and this one has gone long since he even left the tubes behind. Belly to belly, and now the recliner gets slapped on. Sid, though, is very close to the ropes and is able to grab them very quickly. Suplex by Big Papa Pump, and now he has another pop at that original finisher of his. 
middle of the ring this time. But Sid tries to feed off the fans. However, there's barely a light snack on offer there. Medeja goes for a press off the ropes for no discernible reason. Sid ducks so Steiner takes it. Clothesline via the challenger, but two counts only. Something vaguely resembling a Cobra Clutch Slam. Question mark, question mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. But the ref gets slugged in the process. <laughs> Medeja offers up a distraction, so Steiner now has the pipe. Cover off that only gets a delay too, though. Jeff Jarrett shows up. Starcade main event. Guitar shot is errant, but from that, Sid can't keep the champion down yet. Powerbomb now, but no, low blow instead. T-blown... T-blown? <laughs> Let's see what I did there. <laughs> hey Suplex. <laughs> oh, I'm best uh, the, 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 the chronic match was earlier. That's where the T-blown <laughs> And the recliner is back on for the third time. Well, these things do indeed come in threes. Just as I'm fretting about that, Sid saves my faculties by this time doing the decent thing and tapping out. Scott Steiner is still the world champion. Oh, Eric, what am I doing? Rory, do you remember we were excited for this match? Or at least the build last yeah. night? We were like, oh, Sid. So, <laughs> uh, it's, always, it's always nice in life when you can find new sources of empathy, right? Because that means you're growing as a person, you're growing as a human being, you're becoming introspective, and you're gaining life experience outside of your own. So I became, I, I found a source of empathy uh, with one uh, Milhouse Van Hooten while watching this match. And mm. I never understood why he wanted Itchy and Scratchy to get to the fireworks factory so badly. Um, but as soon as the match ended and they hadn't gotten to the fireworks factory, I kind of understood why Millhouse was so disappointed. This is the where, when are they going to get to the fireworks factory match in my mind, which is they spent a month or so building a match that we all knew was going to be terrible as soon as the bell rang. But it was these two lunatics that as soon as the bell rang, like – the way they built it on TV, you just expected Sid to grab a pair of scissors and Steiner to grab a, a, you know, that lead pipe of his and just start swinging at each other, right? 30-second match, it ends with somebody going to the hospital. But instead, we had a, another 11-minute match that was even more plotting than the one before somehow, even sloppier than the one before somehow, except for Steiner. Sid, to me, seems like he was out of shape and probably was working with a little bit of a boo-boo face, knowing that he was going to do the J-O-B to, to Steiner. Like, that's the vibe that I got, and I'm a huge Sid fan. But he definitely has boo-boo face when he's going to lose big matches. We've seen it many, many times. Um, and so I, I was just as disappointed as you can be in a match um, that you knew was already going to suck. I was somehow even more disappointed because the build to this was – something that was a little bit different, unique and exciting. And then it was the spectacle. That's the thing. It was the spectacle. And that's, that's why Vince McMahon is where he is and why WCW is where they are because McMahon knows how to build spectacle and more times than not, he knows how to pay it off at least satisfactorily. WCW takes a ham handed attempt at spectacle and almost every time fucks it up uh, somehow. And that's what happened again here. We had an opportunity to have kind of a memorable, probably short, entertaining contest to put Steiner over strong over this massive dude in Sid. And they just kind of 
did clotheslines for 10 minutes and center one with a, with a recliner. And Jeff Jarrett was there in case we didn't need another kick in the balls. <laughs> yeah, this, this, Roy, this much. Roy, this, this to me was, I just, I just want to bring it home. Like this to me was like, it, it, I, I can't express how disappointed I was because the build was pretty good. And in the end, what we got was definitely no bone storm, was it? Just think it this was, should have been a bone storm a, style match. <laughs> yeah, it was a, it was a plotting nothing. They wrestled. They wrestled. These two don't lunatics. do it. Don't do it. It's just, they wrestled. Yeah. Uh, give me this main event or go to hell is what Bart Simpson did not say on the Marge Be Not Proud. <laughs> and all I've done is enter my name. Pete, before I go completely down the Simpsons rabbit hole, not that I need a second invitation to do that. Do, do, do attempt to describe this match if you can. Eric made an excellent fist of it there. But um, if, if, if anybody can, 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 can compliment that, you can, sir. I'll try. Um, one thing I would say, I think Sid in the long pants looks awesome. I do think I really like that yes. look. I'll, I'll say that. I think it looks really, really good. Um, that's where that kind of ends, I suppose, in terms of, uh, from as you say, when the bell rang. Um, I, I This should have been, because I think in the results, that the Goldberg-Luger was a no-holds-barred match. I don't even reference that in the last match that it was no holes barred because we didn't really talk about that, did we really? Whereas this match should have been in that vein. It should have been, as you say, just two guys just beat the crap out of each other for, what, four or five minutes with whatever they've got, you know, with the lead pipe, with this, with chairs, just really go for it. And as you say, Steiner, recliner, and and it's over. But that didn't happen. And, you know, I'm a... I'm a big stickler for the rules as it wasn't a no DQ or a, a no holes barred there was refs being dragged out of the ring there were low blows in front of the ref that were ignored hilariously twice I think in the match but normally that's a DQ and I think you know I know that you, you kind of have to take your head out of that game when you're watching a WCW main event but it just I just thought why why do we have to have low blows and all this referee business this was built up to be these two lunatics you know and they are to, to a certain extent. I mean, Sid's had a career of playing that role for, for years and Scott officially is a lunatic. So it works really well. But in your main event, just, and you've got Jeff Jarrett, you know, having to swing a guitar because why the hell not? And Medeja having to get a, a bump in as well. And Scott had to almost sell for her a little bit, which is, I don't know. I just think it's, we've had what? 20 minutes there at the end. Work rate was an issue, wasn't it, guys? I think we just... WCW main events, classic. Uh, There's no more to be said. But at least, I suppose, Scott won uh, convincingly in the end, I suppose, with the... I mean, the recliner's not a strong look for Scott, is it, in terms of his sort of sitting gently on someone's back and slightly tugging at their neck. I don't think looks particularly, um, you know, badass and Scott Steiner-ish, but still... You know, it's enough to make Sid pass out. But yeah, nothing, no big surprise, but should have been better. Should have been something we could really talk about. Wow, that was five minutes of, you know, there's these guys have got lumps and welts and bruises and a bit of blood maybe and whatever. And we didn't get that, which is a real shame, but not that surprising, was it? No, and I do wonder if the reason, again, I might be giving them far too much credit. You think I would have learned by now. But the reason we didn't have a five to eight minute pobble fest that would have been much more the ticket is because, refer back to what we said earlier, 
Scott Steiner in the ring laying it in. There's probably only one outcome there. Uh, probably involves Sid being brained at best, if that's even possible. And also physically, we, 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 can, can Scott do it physically? We mentioned about the yeah, very true exercises. Mm-hmm. Can he actually do that now? Yeah, ten well, he's, definitely not, he's definitely not taking a, a Sid powerbomb, that's for sure. Oh, God, not no. going to happen. No. In my notes, when I, I, I might as well have written low blow the very second I wrote the word powerbomb because there's no way it was going to happen. And this match was booked entirely incorrectly for what it should have been. But, and this isn't the biggest but I've ever said on these shows, I can kind of see why and how we got what we got. Doesn't make it an any more edifying spectacle, that's to say the very least. But what else are you going to do with these fellas? If you won't and or can't have it be throwing bombs at each other for a few minutes, then your only other option is a pure plot fest with Jeff Jarrett getting involved because Jeff Jarrett gets involved. Starcade main events wouldn't have it any other way. It doesn't matter who's in charge. He's always, he really is the chosen one, isn't he? Self-proclaimed, but sometimes I wonder how true it really is. Far too true. That's why I only think about it sometimes. But the match, by its own very low entry level of standards i didn't loathe it and that's where we are i didn't loathe the main event between these two that is some sort of a victory it existed within its own world of internal logic where steiner will get the victory if he puts the recliner on often enough and I bought it. It is Christmas after all. I might not be so forgiving if this one took place six months down the line. But I wasn't hoping for the kind of match that we would have really wanted and we've all alluded to. And I agree, I'll say it again, the match it should have been, but that isn't on the cards for a myriad of reasons. Sid not caring, Steiner not being able to, Nobody in the office giving it more than five seconds thought to be able to put a match together these days anyway. So they probably were just thrown out there for 12, 13 minutes and off you go, lads. Limitations being as they are, they're going to cook up nothing better than this. Thin gruel, I think, is the expression. But if you add a bit of golden syrup to it, you can at least swallow it down, choke it back. Glass of water that purifying tablets nearby you know where i'm going with that analogy i don't need to continue it anymore best for all concerned but yeah that was your main event of starcade and here we are closing out wcw 2000 i repeat wcw 2000 and this was it appeared on the scale okay and for what we've had to sit through this year that is success enough i know Everybody, I know. Peter, your thoughts on Starcade 2000? Existed in name only, Starcade, and a score rating out of 10, if you would, good sir. Um, obviously, I said before, seen a lot worse, uh, seen a lot better, clearly as well. But I think in the year 2000, this wasn't this wasn't that bad. And that's going back to your comment about you know, it wasn't an absolute horror show. There wasn't. You weren't sitting there 
disgusted with the last two and a half hours of your life you just spent and wasted potentially by watching what you'd watched or frustrated about what had happened it all kind of made sense it all kind of worked the winners were to be expected there were no big surprises there it kind of made sense um rating wise i've rated the show for a little while so i'm trying to think where my my normal levels are but i think this this isn't this is nowhere near the very very bottom of the scale i'm, I'm going to give it three and a half um i think there was there was enough out there to watch there was enough to entertain and i use that word you know with a slight bit of trepidation but i did you know get a bit of a get a bit from it um but it was just you know um nitro again sunday night style really um but not much storyline work, I suppose, apart from the return of Glacier. So three and a half stars from me. <laughs> apart from the return of Glacier, snuck it in there while he could. <laughs> Eric, what have we got? Rory, as much as we tried, um, overtly tried, to not have those Russo shows mid-year like impact or scale, I feel like that was unavoidable. Because to me, this is a perfect example of like a three or four out of 10 show, right? So I'll probably agree with Pete, like three and a half out of 10. But this is a three and a half out of 10 show for like very different reasons than some of those mid-year shows that we were like, well, in terms of where they were and compared to Super Brawl 2000 and, you know, that sort of thing, you know, some of those other shows were threes and fours. But I, I think on the, on, the, on the normal wrestling show scale, where we don't have an absolute lunatic who doesn't understand anything about wrestling, telling guys what to do, I think as a traditional wrestling show, this is a 3.5 out of 10. I guess it being Starcade maybe makes me consider a three rating because of the history and the prestige. And even Tony Schiavone reminding us that it used to be much more entertaining than this, uh, bringing up Starcade 83 a couple of times. Um, I think three and a half out of 10 on the non-Russo boring wrestling show metric. That, that, that is our scale going forward. Non-Russo is enough for me, but non-Russo boring scale rolls off the tongue easier than it probably should. You know what? I'm going to join you three and a half. Why not? I'm not really in the mood to quibble over half a mark here or half a mark there. This might as well have not been a Starcade. That's my issue with it. It was a late yeah. 2000 WCW pay-per-view. Yeah. You had the Young Dragons and Three Count mindless and i do mean mindless spot fest you had shane douglas doing something you had mean gene perving over major guns now it's checking all the boxes really you don't need any of those things anymore in your pay-per-view especially not the last one (laughs) but they're just going to be there and it all comes down as far as wcw pay-per-views are concerned and until the buyout happens it will just be your own personal limits of tolerance that will deduce whether you can even sit through the show or not, let alone enjoy it. I can't remember the last time I enjoyed a WCW pay-per-view. A lot of that is to do with the fact I spring stampede 99, maybe, but it's the fact I don't go into them looking to enjoy them. I go through them expecting to endure them 
and not being disappointed. But if I get through those two hours, 40 minutes with the vast majority of, oh, yes, my faculties intact, then everyone's a winner in as much as they can be. So basically what I'm saying is please just get the buyout done so we can talk about this sort of thing properly, where it's worth our while trying to assess these pay-per-views on any real level of canonistic merit. As it is, by dint of existing, let's call it a three and a half out of ten all around. And that does it for WCW 2000 after all. We are back in the present day. And Eric, we have done it. There goes WCW 2000. Don't forget to write. Right on, guys. <laughs> uh, all I can say is that it's it's been a journey. Oh, yes. Uh, Don't stop believing. Adding, adding no adjectives or superlatives. Um yeah, kind of sad to see how it ends because uh, all almost all of the outcomes that are before us are more interesting than what happens and what we'll cover in 2001 slash 2021. Yes, we will. Uh, anything else you want to plug, Eric, while you're here? Just uh, check us out on Twitter uh, at Wrestling20YRS. Uh, pretty robust conversation over there most days uh, with Rory on the on the account and the rest of us checking in and if you're at all interested in knowing what's going on with me personally on Twitter, you can just find me associated with that account at Wrestling20YRS. Fantastic. And Peter, thank you for joining us today. No problem at all. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, just uh, obviously please follow the show on Twitter and get involved. And, you know, we're always quite entertaining on, on there. And there's lots of things going on. If you want to interact with me, I'm uh, at pkimber one on Twitter. Talk about all sorts of crap normally and wrestling and football and etc 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 um yeah really enjoyed it thanks a lot brilliant and well done to you two oh, sorry i think a reference to you two to to have gone through the last what 12 months of wcw is a uh, is no mean feat and i think that's uh, a, a great respect to the pair of you for i think the word is enjoy you mentioned rory there so well, oh, yes. well well done i think it's a big a big round of applause and a slap on the back for the pair of you for that Thank you, Pete. Didn't mean to step over you there, having a little bit of not so, not at all. Uh, one, one thing I wanted to just point out here, uh, now that we're out of timeline, is the passing of Kevin Green. Uh, very recently, here in December yes. of, of 2020, yeah. we, we, I mean, go back to our, go back to our mid 96 shows. Uh, was it 96, 96, 97, um, mm-hmm. where we just raved about him, and he was fabulous. And uh, too young, died too young. Cause of death not really known, not relevant for the record. Um, point is, um, a, a good, uh, a guy who entertained us, uh, both, uh, in the NFL and, and primarily for the three of us in WCW, uh, with a good athlete run, uh, passed away, Kevin Green, uh, let's just, you know, close out the year remembering him and all of his positive contributions. Very Definitely. well said. And I'll repeat what I said on the great American bash 97 show, Kevin Green versus Steve McMichael genuinely good match kevin green's babyface performance in that match i actually watched it again a couple of days ago i was just watching a few things and i thought in deference to his very sad passing i would watch a couple of the matches he gave us in wcw and i was amazed then as i was three years ago at the quality of his performance every level of babyface wrestling 
he was there in the nine or ten out of tens. Utterly incredible, as if he had been doing it all his life. I do implore you again to check that one out. Eric, thank you very much indeed for bringing Kevin Green up. It's very, very sad loss. So I don't know much about his NFL stuff at all. It's pretty much all wrestling for me, but 96, 97, 98 gave me personally a lot of enjoyment. Very, very sad to see him go. Rest in peace, Kevin Green. Just to wrap up, December 2000 shows, as I said at the top, WWF and ECW should be with you very, very shortly. But if you do have a spare three hours, 39 minutes and 57 seconds, do check out our <laughs> end of year review show. So you can slot it in very, very easily. Get it in between. Dive. Tomorrow, as we record this, between Sunday dinner and, I don't know, bargain hunt or something we had a lot of fun recording that one a lot of good hearty discussion i think is a nice way to do it. 14 categories looked at um got a little a little testy towards the end but you wouldn't really have it any other way would you always, always enjoy those always. Shows. <laughs> <laughs> there were some real camps developing towards the end at some point and my attempts at mediation Maybe I gave up a bit towards the end and perhaps chose one of the sides over rather. But if you haven't listened to it, do check it out. Easy to find. We dropped it on Christmas Eve there in the archive, just a couple to scroll down from. But yes, that's 2000 done for World Championship Wrestling. It was a bit hairy there for a while. It's very nearly claimed me early on in the year, but uh, all issues are now solved, I'm pleased to say. So I'll be with you for the next 20, 40, 60 years. But 2001, as I put on Twitter yesterday, going to be very, 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 very different where a lot of things end of course but where a lot of things begin too so join us won't you and we'll see you in 2001